Hello authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of Short Nonfiction for Authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. Authors, I hope you're all keeping well in whatever part of the world you reside and listen to the podcast in. Today's interview is with writer, author, lecturer, ex-newspaper and TV journalist Robin Young. And Robin provides us with a deep reflection on making decisions to make things happen, both on a personal and professional level. So in my author adventure this week, it's been a busy week, not so much in my author business, but obviously in my personal life. The last day of school was upon us yesterday and I realised that was the last day I had to get all my Christmas shopping done because the kids are now around for the next few weeks up until start of February. So I was crazy busy at the shops grabbing everything yesterday, but I am pleased that I managed to do it. So I feel quite organised there, at least I will next week. Usually we're last minute people and yeah, trying to be better organised in in all senses of my life. (laughs) What has been happening in my author business is the print copy of freelance writing Quick Tips for Fast Success has been going back and forward with Ingram Spark, who I am printing through. The e-proofs, if you listened to last episode, I had approved a back-to-front proof that was rectified. But then there was two issues where the text on the front cover seemed displaced, which they fixed one. And then it took a couple of goals to actually get the other one fixed. But we got there in the end. And I just want to thank the support team for there for working so quickly and closely to get that rectified before the end of the year. So now I get to order a proof copy and hope and and I just hope and I know this is it this will be the the final copy after so many copies and I'll be ready to release it out into the world and in January I'll be doing a podcast episode solely on my printing you know experience that I've gone through to help others if they're just first starting out in printing because out of as I said before out of all the formats digital is definitely my forte but the printing is is needed a lot of learning So if you love the podcast or any of the episodes has helped you further in your author career, you can now pay it forward with Buy Me A Coffee over at buymeacoffee.com slash the hybrid author. Or you can leave me a review on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on to help other writers like you discover the podcast. Let's all support each other. Robin Young has loved words since she was very small. After completing a Bachelor of Arts in Communication, Public Relations at Charles Sturt University, Robin worked as a journalist in television, newspapers and radio. Words and communication are at the heart of everything she does, whether that be corporate writing, non-fiction, essays, columns, fiction and poetry and the writing workshops she runs for people of all ages. Robin also lectures in marketing, leadership and organisational communication at Charles Sturt University and has three anthologies out in the world and has recently completed her first novel. Congratulations, Robin. Welcome to the Hybrid Author Podcast. Thanks, Jo. You've had a very wide and long career, it seems, and obviously loved words since you were very small. Is this how you got into writing in the first place? My first poem I wrote when I was seven, and it was about mermaids and mermen, and I probably could recite it, but I won't. (laughs) You should. Um, 
I started to write, but I, I think about the writing and it's becoming a little bit more apparent, I think, as I get older and more interested in family history. My great-grandfather, whose stories inspired the novel, he was Indigenous Fijian, so that's my dad's pop. And then on dad's mother's side, we have African-American and Cherokee. So on that side of the family, I just think, it's just like storytelling in my genes that it's there. Dad used to write poetry. It all rhymed. If he got upset about things, I don't remember a lot of things that I wrote until I was probably in my teens. And then it was all of that really angst ridden poetry and that first experience of a couple divorcing. So I used to, I like a babysit that for a couple. So I actually wrote a poem from that experience, you know, with the little ones asking, you know, like, where's daddy? Um, I, I don't have it anymore. I think I left it at a former house, but it was a, a Liz characters these little lovies characters that were around in the 70s yeah so you know now boy I was really in love with and I pictured him at the birth of our first child <laughs> and then did my uni degree did a couple of units of creative writing and then really didn't write in that creative form for many many years so I think busy with journalism I was 30 and two I see in a newsroom and two small children and my ex-husband is a vet and so busy practice and in 1998 my mum got ill she was diagnosed with cancer it was that experience and and in the first collection the basket in the briefcase I remember the day really clearly ringing in at TAFE I was teaching in media at TAFE and just going, I can't come to work today. And by the end of that day, there were 3,000 words sitting there. Wow. <laughs> but that was my first short story, like a real, a proper short story. And it's little changed from what I wrote. And then it was like my antenna were out. Whatever I see, um, Kate Kennedy, who I'm an absolute fan of, and she's a great aficionado of the short story form. Kate always says that she trips over stories because, you know, people always say, like, oh, where do you get your ideas? And I'm a bit like Kate, like I trip over them. We'll see something and go, there's a story in that. And then it might, might actually percolate for quite some time. I'm a huge coffee fiend. <laughs> You're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> um, so quite often the idea will sit for quite some time before I get it out. So, and then I discovered I liked writing poetry as well. And then I discovered this thing called flash fiction. I actually had something published in Seizure Online when I was in Sydney. That year in Sydney in 2013, that gave me great opportunities. But one of my lecturers actually said, said to me, you know, you're a poet. And I went, okay, so why am I writing? <laughs> <laughs> all these words so I've now pretty much had something published either self or in other publications yeah. for the last 20 or so years so you're a hybrid author <laughs> I definitely am a hybrid <laughs> author yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, it sounds like, you know, your start was obviously very natural from family. And I take it, did you, was it your father? Did he, he used to read his poetry aloud to you? Oh, not if we could help it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, yeah, whatever capacity. And then, you know, you've, you've taken that on and yeah. it, it found but, stories. In, yeah. In, but, in, I, but I think we were a creative household as well. So I, I did ballet from the time I was three to 12. I wanted to play piano and had to make a choice so then played piano and pianos and teacups appear in a lot of my work <laughs> um, we could all sing uh, well except for mum who used to have to put up with like five different voices and radios and all sorts of things so it was a household where yeah creativity was mm. really really encouraged yeah yeah and it sounds like you know you find stories in the everyday and through experience and almost cathartic I suppose trying to make sense of your surroundings as well like what you were saying with your mum very much so and sometimes in the stories when people read them and so they'll so compression which is one of my favorites which is in the only constant and somebody said what was it like to have like you a teenage sundae and I went no that didn't happen to me but I saw this gesture between this mother and this child my boys quite grown up but we're living a long way away so I think for writers too because there's always this thing like that there's write what you know but that doesn't mean always that you've been through that experience it can be and that's now becoming a really bit of a minefield where you know somebody who's writing perhaps about kids on the spectrum and then they're getting asked different things with writing the novel where I've had a structural edit done on it and the editor said look put right up front your claim to your Fijian heritage now I also right. have an indigenous character in it and I have to because 
if I don't have a stockman in central New South Wales on a property in the 1870s, it's not true to the time. But I, I will, I'm aiming to have someone read it. So, yep. but I think I'm, I mean, English has always been like really easy for me. I was the kid that, you know, won spelling competitions and grammar comes very, very naturally to me. So sometimes when I'm marking student assignments, I can <laughs> keep going, it's about the marketing content. It's not about, you know, what they're, what they're writing. Yeah. And you're um, obviously um, a wide reader as well. Absolutely. And actually I'm reading a lot of Australian fiction at the moment and have for the last few years. And I've just started uh, reviewing again for Newtown Review of Books. In my undergrad, so I did an English major, we were studying existentialism. So I turned 17 just before I went to uni. So in the November, I went to uni in the February. I'm reading like Kafka and I'm reading Sartre and I'm reading all this stuff and, and going and I, I should go back and read it now because it's a 17 year old going like who knows about existentialism <laughs> but I also did women in literature which introduced me to a range of amazing women writers Carson McCullers, Margaret Drabble, Edna O'Brien and I did Australian literature as well so I then um, came across that so I'm actually having to find that because I have there are women writers who are just so amazing I'm going like I really should be reading a few more of the blokes yeah um, <laughs> I really love men who can write women well mm. um and I know some people have mixed feelings about Tim Winton but I think he absolutely does Robert Lukens who I've known Robert through Twitter for years and years and he took a long time to get his first novel published but his first and second novels are just extraordinary yeah I've seen um, him actually at Perth Writers Festival I think I think I've got one of his books on my shelf, actually, which could be the the debut one. Everlasting Sunday. Yeah, it could be, actually. It's got like a wintry cover. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's sitting on my shelf behind me as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so he's I lovely. Did, and Loveland was just incredible. That's his, his second. So the reading widely, and it's also to not just reading fiction, so really well-written mm. memoir. So I've actually just finished yep. running a series of workshops. And so week one's very general introduction, week two's short story, week three is memoir, and week four is poetry. Oh, wonderful. And it's great to be able to take examples of memoir to people that are essays that are maybe done through poetry which is something I've been thinking about for myself perhaps writing a memoir through places that I've lived geography it's a lot shorter than writing 85,000 words for a novel as well (laughs) (laughs) I I have gotten cracking on novel number two oh well done well it sounds like you know you've written in a whole heap of formats and obviously like you said you're a poet you and a lecturer and and widely studied studied as well uh so today's topic is on making decisions to make things happen and it sounds like you know this could be your brand because you have got so much behind you can you tell us you know what does this statement mean to you and how have you with all these hats that you wear how have you implemented it into your writing career is it just a case of uh, you know I want this I'm I'm going to go after it but it, it, there's yeah. a decision in there in itself I suppose there is and I actually um it was really good to have a little bit of time to to think of to think about that because some of the some of the stuff that happens because it's it's out of your control so you can't do anything about that but and the decision say to come to Albury wasn't wasn't mine I didn't want to come here and 34 years down the track apart from three that I lived in Sydney it's just the most amazing pond for someone like me and I used to actually say that I could open a millinery shop (laughs) (laughs) but but everything that I do is related to words that's the thing because people sometimes go oh but you're doing this and you're doing that and you just go oh, but it all comes back to communication it all comes back to words it's all about the ones that I cho- that I choose so there's there's a bit of decision making in there about which word goes in there um which I had to let go a bit writing the novel because you can't always go back. Although I have sitting just above my desk, this lovely quote from Anne Enright, I work the sentences in rhythm all the time. I can't move on from a bad sentence. It gets more and more painful, like leaving a child behind you on the road. <laughs> That's great. I need to move on. But onto other decisions. When I first, the first short story I had published, which is in an anthology called New Albury Writing. So that was in 2002. And so I had that. And then I was asked to submit something for an illustrated progressive novel. And then the person I submitted that to said, like, it's time you start to submit work. So the decision making I thought about for that is that you make a decision to get the story out of your head and to get it on paper, on the grid. I mean, I've started stories on serviettes in restaurants. <laughs> Phones are fabulous because they you can actually start them in that I can have a story might be in three notebooks because I've picked up a different <laughs> notebook each time. So you make the decision to write the story. 
you make the decision then to finish it. And I now let things sit. Well, no, probably not as long because I've just I have something being published next month. It percolated for months and months and I wrote it in two days and the deadline came and I went, right, it's probably a bit undercooked, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to send it and it's it's being published next month. Fantastic. Um, I, I think um, with that as well, like I, I find the more thought that you put into something before that, you know, you actually sit down, the more understanding you've got, then you've got more to play with when you do make that decision yeah. to sit down and write. So even if you say we maybe thought it wasn't perfected, but, you know, it was perfected probably in your mind beforehand. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and so then you make the decision to submit it and then often you don't get feedback on those and also to then the understanding and this probably goes to another question about advice is that it's so it's so subjective I've had stories I've submitted for a competition it's done nothing and yet it's in a literary anthology so maybe it was a bit too high for Luton no because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know because I think my I think my story and my writing is really accessible so that's in terms of stories I also have a little ritual I've always got some Proseccos in the fridge so when I submit something I have a glass of bubbles oh nice I love that <laughs> yeah, because you've actually, you've a decision has been made to go that extra step. The anthologies, bringing those together, it's, you know, like I've got all these stories, I've got a couple need finishing, serendipitously some little theme will, will come up. I have a lot of artist friends, musicians, visual artists, so they record, you know, they make independent recordings or they'll finish a series of work hire a small space and nobody says and I'm, I'm glad this is really changing I think in the writing world and nobody says to them oh you know that's a bit of a hide to be doing <laughs> who do you think you are type of idea so I guess it's that vision about about confidence but it's also to what do they say it takes 10,000 hours of practice you know I'm not saying my writing is perfect but you know I've done I've done my 10,000 hours yes. and and more and doing that plus the feedback that I get which is really lovely and one of my students I just had just said he really loved the empathy in the work which was a really you know, I take that as a great compliment. I take that as a really great compliment. One of the bigger decisions, like from a personal point of view, was leaving a marriage. But it was always like I then found my feet as to who I am. And, you know, like it wasn't it wasn't terrible. It was one of those things of just going, okay, you know, this doesn't work anymore. We've created these two amazing boys, men. <laughs> and then at the end of 2012, I was just on Facebook and this ad popped up and it said, Masters in Cultural and Creative Practice at Writing and Society and then it said who the lecturers were and one of them is Gail Jones, was Gail Jones and Gail's still there, who is uh, hails from Western Australia originally and is, I think, I wish more people would read her because I just think people think, oh, like, she's literary, but, oh, my God, like, her storytelling is incredible, absolutely incredible. And so she was the reason that I went, okay, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> So, and to just some things I've been teaching at TAFE and I've been lecturing at Charles Sturt and to person in my life at the time was he was moving to Sydney and arrived there. And so I'm in a group. I was the older person, so I was 54, I think. And I had some people though here that said, but like, you can write. Why would you want to do that? And I said, because I want to learn more about my craft. I want to dig deeper. I want to, you know, like this, this is a story about this, but I want to, you know, I think if you think about layering, you do get a richer story in a, in another life. And I have a beautiful cross stitches on the wall. <laughs> I did a lot of, a lot of sewing and a lot of embroidery. And I think about writing like that, that you have this sort of blank canvas, if you like, I'm picking the stitches is a little easier on a laptop than, than it is, but that you start to build that base and you layer and you layer. And I found out, not found out, what's the right word? Discovered. I guess, yeah, no, discovered though, that my way of working, it's, it is, it is quite organic part it is really very very intuitive I mean I actually remember I've been writing stories for years and then somebody said oh no I love it because you know this story arc and I just went oh okay right okay <laughs> 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 I'm supposed to have this and I'm supposed to have that and you know you should only have x number of characters in a short story and which is probably a good one I've got a Christmas dinner one that yeah there are just too many people inhabiting <laughs> inhabiting the space isn't it good sometimes as well to break that status quo kind of thing like you should be this it should be that and sometimes the stories that do push the boundaries I think are um some of the most incredible ones out there you know that yeah and, the, the and um 
one of the stories that's in in single shots and has been in the um, Baranga anthology, The Secret, and that was actually that came from looking at an artwork by an Australian artist, Dick Watkins, and I just looked this quite Picasso-looking image and went, oh, I can see like little babies and other things in there. And but I played; it was great to play with form for that one because it's third person, it's a letter, and then it's first person. So it's I it just play. I just love to play. Um, that year in Sydney doing the masters that yes you had to do the work Ivor Indic who has Giramondo publishing was acting my supervisor and I was terrified (laughs) (laughs) going mid-50s woman terrified of and I just went that's fine just a person he's just (laughs) that was really good for building you know I'm a really fairly confident person but this Mm. this was actually great and then you write a script at Parramatta and arriving there and then going okay I'm going to submit this poem or I'm going to do this or do that so that doing that masters I don't know what it did maybe as I said it maybe it was a bit of a confidence boost because I mean I think you do need an amount of ego and to put your work out there and then not be bothered about well we're always bothered about what people think about our work (laughs) but it's almost to say you know I've put in the hours I've learned the skills I'm confident to be standing up here and telling you about it because I've done these things and you might I'm very much the same I feel like I have to have uh, experience behind me to be able to talk about stuff you know yeah and and um it's always really interesting then when people say to you you know like where do the ideas as we've talked about just briefly before and where the ideas come from but I think as writers it's not it's not latching on to the newest thing because by the time you do that and then get the story finished and do all of that so in publishing just to talk about that for a moment you know and that crime is really really big um my novice historical fiction which I never really intended to write, but when I got to Sydney and I just went, I've always been really fascinated by John's story. So that I've just used a seed, little boy orphaned comes to Australia. The rest of the story is made up because then the family can, can't say, well, that's not right. Um, <laughs> and I go, it's not John. It's not John. So then, yeah, decisions, a decision to sell my house, which then gave me the wherewithal to travel to Levuka, which is where Moonchild starts out and gave me freedom. And of course, you know, rental situations, we're probably a bit more fortunate in a large regional I was fortunate to find somewhere nearly five years ago that you know I think I'll be here for quite a while but you can sit and go like I'll keep throwing money at a house and it's renovation (laughs) no this is what's really really important to me and this is going to give me the wherewithal I'm really fortunate and I say yes to most of the work that Charles Strait sends to me because then that gives me the financial wherewithal to go to I'll say it correctly for any Victorian listeners Castle Maine (laughs) 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 days Or, you know, I've written in cabins and different things so that creating space, making decisions to create space. And I know that that's not easy when people have got, they have families and they have, you know, lots of other things going on. And it's interesting to listen to people like Alice Pung. Now, I've known Alice about 15 years or so, and she now has three little people. And as she said, she doesn't have the luxury of sitting down for hours she has a notebook in the car for drop off, you know, pick up, snatching, snatching that time, I think. And I went to a Stephanie Derrick workshop many years ago, which was about sustaining your creativity. And Stephanie talked about paying attention to what you need. And it's, you know, it's not being selfish. I don't think, so. and I know everybody's personal circumstances are very, very different. I mean, I read a lot when my boys were growing up and they actually there was like this unwritten rule in the house which was if mum's within 100 pages of finishing a book there's a big do not disturb (laughs) (laughs) go play (laughs) and to and I I guess to that it it wasn't seen as an indulgence it was just like oh this is actually what mum does and now it's with the the you know the grandies I don't they live a little way away well they live in Catherine in the Northern Territory but this acknowledgement of of this is actually what I do this is actually who I am I had a dear aunt's funeral in Sydney one of my cousin's children he introduced me to her and Carissa said oh you're the writer wow like that that to me was such a lovely affirmation because that's sort of who you know apart from being you know friend lover nanny row all of those people it's really who I am and what I do 
Mm, no, that's fantastic. And so one of the decisions as well, making a decision when you were writing the anthologies to independently publish, how how did you make that decision? Because that's really, in my opinion, you know, independently publishing, making a decision to do that is making things happen really well. You know, you might be waiting for a traditional deal. Yeah, I think because short stories are very, very hard to get published for a start and it's interesting that the experiences that you have and how they feed into your confidence to do something so many moons ago I worked on a country newspaper so I learned all about layout I learned about even albeit like I think we're still using manual typewriters back then but anyway I was the two I see in a newsroom at Prime News the boys were two and five that's another that was another really big decision I decided to leave and everybody went but you've got this great job like you know why why would you want to do that and so I think I was nearly 32 or so at that stage I wanted to have time at home with the, the younger one I've been home with the older one and then I decided actually to start my own company as well so I did that in 93 so promotions from the pen is 30 years old next year (laughs) because I actually I saw people who uh, had small businesses and they were getting advertising people coming and knocking on their door and going oh I'll give you this great package and this sort of stuff so I had a tiny tiny little ad that said in the yellow pages which said realistically priced promotion advice an action. So, but when I left Prime, I booked myself in to do a two-day page maker course. So I could learn about desktop publishing. I now, so that last collection I did, I designed, I did all of the layout and the, the setup in in design. So I now know how to do separate files. You don't import the whole thing into one big file to start with. <laughs> <laughs> do that. YouTube going on one side and in one computer and like showing me how to do it. And I, I mentioned before about having artist friends and musician friends and actually and, and theatre friends too who develop work and just hire a space and go, right, like this is what I do. And it was a bit like, you know, gathering them up so that they would, you know, I could do something with them. So the basket in the briefcase, which is my my first one, I had a local printer who did that. As I said just before we started recording, I mean, I'd, I'd go through it and take all those six dollar leapsies out. <laughs> <laughs> with the only constant, and that was just the thing of going, oh, I have these stories. I've got a couple I really should finish. Yeah, so it's about that they all have a bit of a base of stories that have been published. And then with the last one, I actually, so I'm a member of Barangaroo, and we may get to a question about advice alone. I've been giving a bit of that along the way. So joining Baranga Writers in Wagga, now that's been incredible because I look at some of the people I'm in anthologies with and just go, oh my gosh, like Sam Adam and, and people like that who are in those anthologies. And to the, after COVID, New South Wales government had a grant, all these micro grants, and they emailed all the members and said, do you have a project? And I just thought, yes, I think I've got a project. <laughs> I want to do something that's a bit fun and so I have the little 80 word micro fictions that run through the anthology with one character. It's about doing something that's a bit different. Michelle de Kretzer was actually just here in Albury in September and her new novel is sort of two novels in one and you can start with one or the other and I loved when she talked about she'd done other things and she just wanted to play. She just wanted to see how that went. So I mean, financially too, I sometimes think I just have a little money fairies that (laughs) sort of go, yes, we can give you this big chunk of work, you know, that can make the things happen. So I guess it's about those decisions about prioritizing. And again, like, you know, I live mostly on my own side of decisions I make about what I eat, what I spend money on, that type of books. Books are my yeah. Dimmick's just actually deposited the money from sales of of the book in the local Dimmick's. And I've just looked at it and gone, I think I've spent at least twice that. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's that's um have to read. They've not had huge distribution because I've not looked at that. They've been a bit more for a local market, which I'm really fortunate. I'm because I've had very high profile jobs as my boys used to get very annoyed when we go grocery shopping <laughs> and they go like mum you know everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, whereas with the novel which depending on the outcome of a couple of things in the next few weeks I you know I, I'm still I'm probably 80% at the yes I will self-publish I will and I've booked it in for a copy edit so again it's about making it the best I can I can make it what was um what was the decision and sorry if you if you mentioned this no, before no, but I don't think you have between the and so the decision from say writing a lot of shorter works even to then write a full-length novel 
is it just the, the content is of what you know Moonchild is 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 that longer was, form so Moonchild was my master's project but it was a nine and a half thousand word so long short story so our major project only had to be about fifteen thousand words so long short story and then of course exegesis about you know why you're writing what what you're you're writing and two we had during that year we had these different units that we did so you I was able to play a little bit with story structure so one of them that we did was around the world and so then it was the idea that to see the similarity, to see the difference in things, you need to see the similarities. So I had a nine and a half thousand word, beautiful, you know, work when Gail Jones says that your work's very like filmic and she likes the register of tenderness in it and all of those things and give you gives you a meritorious grading. You think, oh, I think I know what I'm doing. So then it sat for a long time because I didn't know what to do. Do I add things in like pleats back to the old sewing metaphors <laughs> do I write the whole thing again do I do that again like it, it's just and I know that this happens to other people there's just something you know the penny drops it's just this and I went okay actually I just go to the beginning with it as I said I had the opportunity to go to Lavuka, which was amazing because my first iteration had white sandy beaches there are no white sandy beaches it's all little volcanic pebble <laughs> over there then I had the chance to to walk the streets that my great-grandfather had walked. So all of that then adds to it. So basically then I started, I built up more of the Fijian part and then characters that you brought in. So this is the thing about working with a longer work. I I thought I'd get it to novella length and then thought, oh, that's going to be really easy to publish too. (laughs) And then I'm actually quite astonished that I've actually managed to write like an 85,000 word novel yeah but I think I gained more confidence with it but I did let the story sort of go but back in 2017 I put it in for the ritual prize and you had to do a chapter by chapter synopsis right so then that gave me the framework because I don't plan my short stories I start with a word and I end up with 2,000 or 3,000 depending sometimes on sometimes on competition length so I did that and that really helped so it didn't mean I stuck completely to that but it gave it that and then there were different scenes started to come in as I got to know the characters better I have the Indigenous stockman's wife, Maddie. Now, I brought her in to do a particular thing in a particular scene. And do you think she was ready to leave? No. <laughs> <laughs> and and I really love the relationship that develops between the two, uh, the adoptive mother. But basically the story is, you know, I just take these characters and I, and I geographically and emotionally isolate them. <laughs> out on this farm and then the funny thing during COVID when I'm going through like a bridged um, kneading dough you know what's everybody at home doing baking yep. but it starts off with the story of an epidemic as well which basically came in by ship to there and a, a third of the population of Ovalau which is a small island where Levuka is located and was the original capital were, had died so 450 or 1500 inhabitants so the fact that my great-grandfather survived that I don't know a lot about his real I mean, I do know some about his real life, but in terms of his adoptive parents and how he ended up doing the things that he ended up doing. So it just, you know, just grew. And I and when I read through it and I go, like, it doesn't have a lot of padding, you know. It, it, I'm, a, I'm a fairly economic writer. Sometimes, though, you know, people say, like, you've just got to put a bit more in there. You know, I like to leave space for the reader. <laughs> but sometimes too much space. So that process, I had an opportunity to submit it to a publisher back in 2020, just from a conversation at right around the Murray. And this is the other thing. Make a decision to do the elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If a publisher says to you and you chat, and says what's the story about have that ready (laughs) have that have that ready and then I got an email in early 2020 that said we're all reading um submissions because she said submit your first three chapters and I said no we need finished I mean I think I had 20,000 words at that point so I got an email in the late March, April. Do you have a finished novel? I said, no, but I did have by the end of June, but it, yeah. And then I worked on it for a couple of months. And again, look, it, it wasn't ready, but I was, and that maybe wasn't the right decision to make, to send to her at that time, because I think I just went, I have this opportunity. I need to take it. Yeah. However, her feedback led me to have a structural edit on it. And then I've worked through that. And then it's, sat for a while which you you need to do and then trusted readers 
Stephen King talks about having trusted readers. And so they're the people who aren't going to say to you, oh, like this is really good when it's not. Yeah. You know, but, but I've had somebody read it and he said, I don't remember that rocking horse going off the veranda. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so he did a really, really close, close read. Yeah. So that, that pros, I, I have the confidence now there's a novel I'm starting to work on, which is all set here in Albury. Um, it'll cover about 30 years, whereas the Fiji, this other one covers about eight years. And it works a bit differently with time, with short time jumps a little bit in the first part and it stretches out in the second in the second part. So the first part covers like seven years, the second part's only about 10 months. But I'm really interested in looking at large regional cities or large regional towns and as they grow and change in their quest for sophistication what did they gain what did they lose so that two line peach to that yeah yeah uh, that's amazing and it sounds like even though you know you've made a decision to make one thing happen by sending it on you know for someone to read something else came of that decision which wasn't what you originally intended so even when I guess we make decisions to make certain things happen it's not always that certain thing that happens but something else that comes of it like you said you got the structural format or edit from from doing that from sending it out so yeah yeah so and and again you know the the money fairies gave me a job as a research assistant on a COVID-19 project which then gave me the wherewithal to do that through a couple of finder of Australian writers and through that I was introduced to Trisha Dearborn who did that and she will do my copy edit for me as well and I think that that's the thing is that it's making it so you know if I do self-publish it and then that's a thing too I'm I'm a scorpion I'm a naturally very impatient person (laughs) (laughs) me too (laughs) dialing back and taking those breaths has been something that I've really learned. And again, I, I spoke before about my mum's illness. It's like that that and her her passing in 2001 when she was only 62. It just taught me so, so much. One of the things about that, and you might come with that, that, that advice I was mentioning about those are join, you know, join your writer's group. Have a really good group of trusted readers. Sometimes that's easier to do than not, but the person, and he was, so I've had people reading it in both, you know, early and, you know, somebody who read it and see the first iteration went, but I love that windy sort of way that it did and that it wasn't quite so linear mm. um, and doing that or a friend's 90-year-old mum who's read both versions and couldn't read the last few pages because she was so frightened and I thought oh, I yeah. hope I've built enough, enough trust in the reader that they'll go like it's going to be okay without spoilers yeah. um, <laughs> so doing that but joining the Australian Society of Authors mm. because that's the opportunity then like to have done the virtual literary speed yeah. dating yeah that's it and you I mentioned Oh, sorry, you go. <laughs> I was just going to say, but making the decision to do that yeah, and just going, okay, you know, well, what have I got to lose apart from whatever it cost us to, to do that? ASA too, if I decide to self-publish, I'm looking at perhaps using the distribution decisions to use your networks. You know, I spoke about Alice Pullman before and Alice had actually written a letter of um, support for me for a fellowship I'd applied for. So I got in touch with her and I said, you know, all those lovely words you put in there, can I put some of those on my cover? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's about not being afraid. It's it's um, it's um about being supportive, yep. I think. And that's, you know, we were just quite you know, having a little chat about Twitter before. Yeah. I've met many of the authors I know through there you know and just not being afraid yeah I, I think what about um you like you you've sort of spoke on fear before and confidence and things like that so people who you know and especially in writing we get rejected by publishers often sometimes for lots of different work and you know there's personal fears and adversity and stuff for putting ourselves out there how have you made these decisions to make things happen when you've had those feelings of of fearfulness about how things might be perceived or I mean even like you're saying with the death of your mum is, is it sort of like you know this has happened life is short I'm gonna do this regardless of how I fear I've got to put myself forward you've just yeah. got to do it and and it's it's interesting because sometimes a response from people can be really interesting because that was quite a personal story um so the the first collection is really bookended and so it's a it's a fictional character, Sarah. She's quite young and she doesn't have children. And but as I said, writing that first short story because I just I just rang in and said I can't come to work today, and that was that. I actually printed off a copy for Mum when she was 
you know, still alive and she had it with her, she was having some treatment. Somebody there said, oh, can we, can we get it and photocopy it? And mum, thank you, mum. And she said, <laughs> no, like th- this is this is my daughter's work and, you know, she, this is actually for me. This is, this is you know, not to be shared. Well, it was later <laughs> because, you know, I think she wanted it to be. I don't know. I always used to worry about what people thought. I probably still do. I, you know, I I have right. I remember going to a, a writer's sort of group here not long after I arrived and just thought, oh, these people are so serious. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I have my serious and my quieter moments, but I have, su- I find such joy. And that was one of, I talked about Gail Jones before. Yes. And I'm an absolute, you know, fangirl of hers was that when that was one of the things she talked about, she talked about that joy of writing, because to be honest, if I didn't enjoy doing this, I would not do it. That's right. I would find something else to do. I might learn to paint. That's something I've not done yet or, you know, but I also love sharing that joy. And I love that sense when somebody comes to a workshop and they get, because somebody's told them when they were six you know or, or put red marks all over things red pen should be absolutely banned um <laughs> that i can't write and yet everybody can it doesn't matter if it's just a couple of words on a page it's it's that and the publishing that's not something that i set out to do i've written I write because it helps me to make sense of the world. That's what I do. I write because I love to play and that's the form I love to play in. And, yes, I'm going to write a play one day as well. Yeah. Um, wow. I've had an idea for one for quite a while. Yeah, look, it's. I think it's about not worrying about – there's a great a saying that I've, you know, that says, what anybody thinks of you is none of your business. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's true. So it is this type of thing. And, and I've made decisions. So as I said, then, like leaving a marriage and doing that, but just going, I absolutely know everybody's going to be okay, but this is actually what needs to happen. And, you know, mostly it's worked out really well, touching lots of wood and going, hey, fairies, where are you? <laughs> but I think it's also too about, don't want to sound immodest, but I think it's about having a generosity of spirit. So you can make a decision about that too, that you can actually see friends who, are you know perhaps winning awards or getting their work published you know in a whole lot of journals and just go no well I'm I'm a bit on my own path and and look I've probably been that way my parents used to tell a story about my first ballet concert when I was three I got out of line in the line and I apparently went to the front of the stage and put my tongue out (laughs) (laughs) so that's sort of a bit you know and I have a, a beautiful a photo that it cousin returned to me and it's one that's a year later when I'm in my tutu and my little ballet slippers which I still have (laughs) and mum and dad had used it like a Christmas card and they'd written on the back and said this was taken before the end of year Christmas concert Robin did a solo in front of 200 people wow I yeah. turned four, just turned four. So, look, I've been show, showing off since, you know, yeah. 1961. Um, <laughs> look, it's partly, I think it's in my nature. And now I've I talked before about the storytelling, that lineage of storytelling. That's also a lineage, lineage of resilience. Hmm. That's, you know, people move from the African continent to North America. Then my great-great-grandfather marries a woman, no, he's my great-great-great, marries a woman who's Cherokee, who then moved off their lands, so the Trail of Tears, and great-grandfather on the other side, great-great-grandfather on the other side, comes through what they call the Underground Railway. And that's not a novel I'll be writing because my cousin has put a really amazing history together, not as non-fiction. In a split decision, he and his mate decide to get not to stay and go to golf fields in the US in California. They hop on a ship and they come to Australia. So I just think that it's, and it's something with heritage and on that side of family. My mother was one of 11 children. Wow. Went back to school, finished her nursing training, did her midwifery and all of those things. So she was, she was 38, she was just 20 when she had me. So I think it's that part of it is it's just the way I'm made. Now, that doesn't mean I don't sit and quiver in the corner. Yeah. It doesn't mean that every few months I go like, I like who do you think you are? <laughs> but I think it's just decide what's important mm. for you. And it's like if it's pottering with writing and that's how you want to do it, mm-hmm. that's great. And to, I, I am at a different stage of my life. I basically have no responsibilities, you know, my, to my students so that, you know, I teach them 
well <laughs> um and the uni has lots of checkpoints so yeah <laughs> you can't get away with things just back yourself mm, yeah. I, I think that's the thing but also to surround yourself with people who not they don't have to be really like you in the way that you know your disposition and things but um you know I I have an amazing cheer squad I have friends and my friend who launched my last the last collection for me in April I felt I'm standing there going, oh, that's me. Or poet Emily Zoe Baker, who actually launched my second collection, and like she's going through my my that collection of stories and talking about, I'm just going, oh, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it probably has to be a show off your kid. <laughs> I don't know. But I suppose, like what you're saying, it's fine if you make the decision to keep your writing to yourself and just play. But if you you decide that you want to put it out there then I suppose you have to make that decision to, if you're not someone uh, like yourself, like you said, you're quite, you like to put yourself out there, but if you're not someone who does that, but you want to share your work, you have to make that decision to take steps to to be able to do that, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about finding the group that, that it's more than about the essence of the story, Mm. that it's, it's not about where that full stop and where that, yeah, that can come later. You know, like that the punctuation and those things. It's and and getting the story down. And there's a great Nora Roberts quote, which is that you can fix a bad page, but can't fix a blank page. Mm, which yeah. came to me via Kate Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> so Kate's has been quite an influence. Yeah, but but it is about having that support network mm-hmm. and you know write something, submit it. Fortunately, you know, lots of competitions only have very very small. Um, you know, entry fees, because mm. that's another thing that financially it can be hard to do that stuff. You know, I'm relying on a very big tax return to do what I <laughs> Otherwise, you know, but but I'm thinking about, you know, crowdfunding yes. with the novel that, yeah. that when it's ready to go, people buy one and that can pay for the printing. And you were talking before about just that, that those practical aspects. And it's just that I have their skills I've picked up along mm. the way a- and to the technology. You know, I started off in journalism, film and manual typewriters, these great clunky things that you put six <laughs> pieces of carbon paper in <laughs> and the whole lot. And now to be able to produce like the yeah. last anthology, set it up in InDesign, just be really careful about people with the, in the, you know, sometimes in that what they call hybrid mm. publishing, um, whereas I funded that, but I've used a print-on-demand group in Melbourne who are amazing I've done two collections now with them who are just incredible to deal with and will keep sending you proofs until you're absolutely yeah that's amazing you've already shared so many tips along the way you know um find people who can encourage you and all sorts of stuff do you have any more tips for authors looking you know who are sitting there and they want to make things happen but they maybe don't know how or I know look just do it's a bit cliche am I Mother was saying just do it long before um, that company. Look, I think it is that. And and a couple of just like wrapping up, make space and time, even if that is sitting in the car, waiting for kids to play sport, doing that. I think it's partly too about your family understanding, you know, I think think my ex-husband used to think, oh, that's a nice sort of hobby. Yeah. Not this is actually really integral that's another thing that's in lots of my books like lots mums babies cups of tea (laughs) (laughs) more blokes though a few more blokes and I just think if it's important to you and if it's really really integral like to who you she's on the other other side of the border (laughs) yeah (laughs) but that constancy I think is you know is is the thing especially with the longer work yep chuck everything in don't show it and, and not showing your work too early. Yeah, yeah. it's just backing yourself. I think it's just, and yeah, find your cheer squad. Mm. Find the group that they understand how important that is to you because a lot of people don't get writers and artists and theatre makers and yeah. And, and I've also worked in jobs like with uh, Regional Arts New South Wales. So find your tribe. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's all absolutely spot on and um, incredible advice there as well. And obviously, you know, you've independently published your anthologies and you're currently seeking traditional representation for Moonchild, but you're saying that you might to go down the independent path we'll see what happens so being hybrid uh, well you are because you've had other things published and stuff is there any screaming advice you wanted to share with anyone who is trying to publish and in, in, in those aspects I think because I've had now a number of rejections and that we're supposed to like wear those 
Yeah, well, that you're saying you, you you pop up on the Prosecco when you send it out. You should pop up. I've heard some people pop up in, you know, champagne when they get the rejection because it shows them that they've put themselves out there and they tried. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I would love that somebody picks Moonchild up and I have come like really, really close. But it's also too, that that's another to get to know learn as much about the publishing industry as you can and then in the self-publishing realm learn about that too because I think that there are you know there are groups of people out there who want to try to make money out of people and that's that's why joining the Australian Society of Authors you know it's whatever it is for the for the year and it's just um and then they have like a contract once she says hoping to get a contract for somebody to look at (laughs) You know, all I've, like I've had to do grant acquittals and I've had to do that sort of stuff. And yeah, look, I just, I just think that make it the best it can be because the publishing industry now, as you know, probably the no Joes, they don't have time to do the hand holding that the apps once did. You know, once yeah. somebody could have actually sent something in that perhaps was full of grammatical errors or the story was really strong and then they could work with those people um also to and i've been edited so in you know a couple of times a few times so that's a really good thing because then you can make you go okay you know i really want to keep that in mm. so even just the short story is being published next month yeah so a couple of things are going like oh is this really necessary and then you go oh yeah like i really 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 do want that clip <laughs> <laughs> learn about the industry mm. learn about the yep. industry from reputable yeah. people yeah. you know for any like the, the women listeners you've got something like you know binders that can be a good space you know I just had some really good information about insurance because I have a home-based business yeah so, yeah you know like it goes you know I, I mean I have a business that that runs as well so that's that's perhaps slightly different mm. but learn as much as you can yeah. yeah and be cautious and yeah yeah be, it's... Be, be cautious but also understand that it can take time mm. You know, like I've decided I've got another 30 years left. So, you know, how many novels is that? (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair few. It's a fair few. (laughs) Yeah, but but I think it's about, and I've said this now several times, it's really like if this is what is really, really important to you, Mm. then those people who are around you and who care for you and who who get you, they're, you know, that's a wonderful thing. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Robin. You have shared so much and your story has oh. just been absolutely beautiful. Uh, oh, can you please, you. please tell us where, you know, tell our listeners, where can they find your anthologies, your workshops, uh, everything Robin Young? So at Robin Young's, that, and it's R-O-B-Y-N-E, so Robin Young, R-O-B-Y-N-E-Y-O-U-N-G dot com dot A-U. That's my lovely new website I had built this year. So again, that's another decision I made. And you can actually buy copies of the two anthologies. And workshops, I haven't looked at the online space yet, but but local people anywhere in northeast Victoria or southern New South Wales. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I uh, the aim... Yeah, because then I'll do a lovely, wonderful. Well, thanks again, Robin, for sharing your time with us. That was amazing. Oh, I thank you for the opportunity, Joe. So there you have it, folks. Robin Young and making decisions to make things happen. I hope the episode has brought you to consider the decisions you've made past and present and the ones you hope to make to move yourself forward, both in your personal and professional life. Some people find it hard to make decisions. I know I sort of have in the past, but, you know, once you make them, you stand by them. Next time on the Hybrid Author Podcast, we only have two episodes left of 2022 and we have the final roundup of guests in a Merry Christmas mashup. That's it from me. I wish you well in your author adventure this next week. Bye for now. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you are further forward in your author adventure after listening, and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.